like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. And I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Kesha and the Creepies is a production of iHeartRadio. Trying to tap into everything that's happening right now as a chance for change. Like if what we're talking about as a society and what you hear being repeated in the news all the time is how much we need to change, how much change there needs to be or whatever. And, you know, given the circumstances we're in facing a global pandemic, facing all this uncertainty, if that isn't like a a time to actually change and have some kind of personal accountability moment, I don't really know when is. Welcome back to Kesha and the Creepies. Today, I am very excited to welcome my next guest, Laura Jane Grace. How are you? I'm fantastic, Kesha. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on here. I'm such a fan of you and your music. Your new record is called Stay Alive, which we're all just trying to do right now. (laughs) And because I fucked up the name of the song, it's called The Swimming Pool Song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always find like naming a song uh, to be kind of arbitrary, like an afterthought, like, OK, I finished it. And it has to be titled something now on the record. So what do you call it? And usually you like defer to what is the thing that repeats during the chorus. Yeah. But sometimes I feel like that's a cop out. So I don't know. I got into the habit, like uh, inspired by a love of Tom Petty, where he would call things like the apartment song. So the reason that 
like initially intrigued me for you to come on this podcast is I have such a connection with that particular swimming pool. I believe you're talking about the swimming pool at the rave in Milwaukee. Yes, exactly. A hundred percent. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. So that swimming pool for those listening, there's a swimming pool in the basement of a music venue in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I, the first time I ever went there was to see this band called The Darkness. I love The Darkness. The Darkness? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Permission to Land is a flawless record. Yeah. I think so too. It's <laughs> such a good record. So I take a Greyhound bus from Nashville to Milwaukee with my friend. We don't have a hotel room. We end up seeing The Darkness. I catch a wristband of the singers. I'm so excited. We end up staying at this woman's hotel room that we met at the show in the middle of the night. She's so drunk. She walks over to my boots and starts taking a piss into my boot, (laughs) thinking it's the toilet. (laughs) Don't forget to flush, right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, thank God it was just pee. But (laughs) and ever since then, that was one of my first times ever going to an out-of-town venue. I was like 16 years old. Fast forward, I've played the rave multiple times and I'm absolutely obsessed with the venue. And I don't know if you're aware of the connection between that venue and Jeffrey Dahmer. I am uh, for the, it's the hotel across the street is one of the hotels that Dahmer stayed in where they, they killed one of their victims. Yes. Um, so, and, and to explain the rave a little better too, it's like, it's an old Masonic lodge that's been there for like how, like a hundred years or something like that. That is multiple levels. Like there's the, the biggest venues on the top floor, then there's the middle floor, the, and then there's the, um, the ground level. And then there's the basement level, which I've been playing there since like 2003 or something like that, 2002. And, you know, it's gotten nicer over the years, but it's always been this big, empty feeling, no matter how many people are in there, like cold feeling place. It's super vibey, super creepy. And, you know, it used to be that the the downstairs wasn't the backstage to the dressing room, but they've done it up nicer and nicer. And when we first started playing there, you could just go into the pool and explore and go like, oh, crawl around everywhere. And since they've closed off more and more and more of it, but the last time I went there, it was funny because they had someone who was like, do you want a tour of the pool afterwards? And we're like, uh, okay. Um, and they like brought us down there and they're all like pointing at everything out. And it's like, yeah, I know shit, man. I've been coming here for fucking 20 years. We've explored this place many times over. It was funny how things had changed though. Well, now all of a sudden I didn't know the pool was like a hot commodity. I just go down there and we always take pictures and we sign the pool. And it, did they take you into the underground tunnels? Yes, we went into the underground tunnels and the underground tunnels totally get like the Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger vibe in there, right? Oh, it's Um, terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing if you're exploring it just like one or two people together, then it's like super creepy. Um, But the pool itself, my understanding is that uh, maybe someone might have accidentally fallen into it. There's no water in it anymore. It's an Olympic sized swimming pool. But also, oh, sorry to backtrack a little to add one more one more thing to the rave's history that I feel like is important to touch on is that it's, I believe, the second to last place that Buddy Holly played at. Oh, I didn't know that. And I'm obsessed with the rave. Yeah. I had no idea. There's such a rich history in that building. You can feel it when you walk in the place. Oh, it's the creepiest. <laughs> it's it's impressive, <laughs> though, because like, obviously, you know, that building was not built to be a rock and roll venue. It's this 
you know, massive complex. And really when you're in those individual venues, like you can't tell there's another show going on. They're like these little worlds you enter into, you know, it's so at odds with, with the history of what it comes from being a Masonic lodge and everything like that. Um, so it's really an indescribable place if you've never, never been there for, before, but I, I, I'm fascinated with places like that. And like the idea of that, of like a place being built as something and then being repurposed and like the conflict between the history and and the present that that's there then well and the energy that remains i was just talking to a parapsychologist before i spoke to you and we were talking about how just like if being psychic exists and energy and telepathy and all of these things that we have names for but really they just could be a manifestation of our personal energy but i think the one thing i can't deny is we all have an energy. You can feel an energy even through a Zoom call, which I know you're not a fan of and I'm not either. (laughs) Like I would much rather be doing this in person because I feel like you can feel people's energy, but even over a stupid fucking Zoom call, I can feel your energy. And I wonder the accumulation of all of the energy that that building has seen just must be insane. But to me, like speaking to that, um, places sometimes can have an energy that like supersedes people's energy. Like I don't think that the rave and the building across the street and the history of, and and the feeling that you have when you're there has to do with any one person. It's something about the place. Like, totally. and I feel like that repeats with, with certain venues and, and like the history of buildings and everything where, where you'll be like, what was it about this place that has, you know, has made these significant events continue to happen here to continue to draw people here? Um, you know, was it like a happening or, or what is it? Um, and I'm fascinated by things like that, you know? Me too. Like, to me, I'm like, is it a vortex? There's so many different places that just have such strange occurrences happening all the time. And I I don't understand. I'm opening my mind up to all this multidimensional thought and just trying to understand all the things that people think there might be, but maybe this is it. And so that's kind of why I started this podcast is to bullshit with people who I respect and who have imaginative or different perspectives on what life is. And I know we were texting about kind of just being like nihilist dressed up in rainbows. Um, I'm like a nihilist dressed up in rainbows, but dressed in all black, actually. (laughs) Rainbows on the inside for you. And Uh today I'm actually dressed in all black too. I don't know. I didn't even mean to. (laughs) But is this all there is? versus reincarnation versus the afterlife or versus heaven or hell. I'm just curious if you want to talk about it, your spirituality and your belief in the supernatural. Sure. I'm happy to talk about those things. Yeah. Uh-huh. Would you describe yourself as a spiritual or religious person? Um, I have a lot of conflict around it where I was, you know, brought up in a Catholic family on both sides, Roman Catholic and Irish Catholic. And, uh, but at the same time, like by parents who didn't really necessarily have a strict adherence to going to the church, we, we traveled a lot. I was a military brat. Um, so like we go sporadically, but nonetheless, I, I got that healthy dose of Catholic guilt. Right. So oh, I have that too. We share that affliction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So over time, you know, you become an adult and, 
I, I, I like to consider myself an atheist, but at the same time, I carry that Catholic guilt and I carry a sense of curiosity and I don't pretend to know everything, you know, and I like reading about the fantastical. I like understanding things or trying to understand things that are like out of the ordinary. Um, and I like thinking that there's mystery in the world still or mystery in the universe. So I don't know, you know, like I'm, I'll believe things, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll go down paths. Um, well, I completely feel you on there are days I wake up where I'm just like, this is it. And that's when I'm kind of like a little more in my, one would call it depressing, but it might just be being realistic. And then there are other days I wake up and just feel like, there's rainbows shooting out of my ass. And I just can't even believe when I woke up to the news that Trump did not win this election, there was a rainbow in the sky. And I was like, it's just too good. Like, <laughs> I read that you believe he's the Antichrist. And that has been the running conversation <laughs> in our household for the past hmm, while. Like, genuinely, honestly, there are some things that line up biblically that are weird. But well, let me let me talk to that for a second, for a second, because it was funny. I, I did like a Rolling Stone interview and I leaned a little too hard into that whole like Trump is the Antichrist thing. And afterwards, I was like, geez, I need to like back off that a little bit. Calm down. Um, but like I meant it, you know, specifically coming from an atheist viewpoint and specifically talking about archetypes, where if you look at religions, you know, in the history of religions, there are these major archetypes that repeat throughout religions, right? So, like, not Christ as, like, you know, our Lord and Savior, but Christ as an archetype it, you, I believe in, you know, like, Christ is an archetype. And so, if, if Christ as an archetype is real, like, the Antichrist as an archetype is also real. And if you're talking about what Christ actually was and not, you know, what the majority of Christians will talk about what Christianity is or anything like that. But if you really examine who Christ was, and if you really examine who Donald Trump is, Donald Trump, you have to admit, is like the opposite of Christ. So the Antichrist as an archetype, not as some kind of, you know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, end of days type Antichrist, but, you know. That's good clarification, <laughs> but I think he might actually be the Antichrist. But uh, <laughs> you were saying like you love the magic of the universe and sometimes you get caught up in believing different things, but you think probably at heart, you think you're an atheist or you're just open. I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't know. How, how am I defining that? Like, I do not believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, right? I'm not a Christian. I don't right. believe that I know any of the answers. I don't believe that any of the books out there that you could read holds the entire truth. I believe there's truths in them and that there's worthwhile things to learn through some religions. But I also believe that religion is like the source of, you know, how much pain and suffering in the history of the world. Um, and death. So I, I, I have a fear of any organized group. I have a fear of like um, clubs, gangs, anything like that, which the church is usually a part of. But do I believe in the mystical? Yes. Do I believe in the fantastic? Yes. Do I believe in magic? A hundred percent, you know, like, and I believe um, that I just don't know it all and I'm still learning. That's beautiful to be able to sit in the feeling of not knowing. I find that a very uncomfortable feeling. Like I just like need to know things and immortality versus mortality and the point of life, the afterlife, extraterrestrial life. 
things like that just fascinate me, which is why it brought me to having a podcast about it is because I wanted to talk to people about their views of it. And I found myself walking away every time loving a new perspective I've gotten and also completely questioning what my perspective was an hour and a half earlier. (laughs) So I'm trying to get comfortable in the place of being like, I just don't know. I'm open. I'm open for business. I'm open for thought, but I just don't know. And I don't know if I ever will. So talking about venues, have you ever been to the town ballroom in Buffalo, New York? I don't know if I have. So the town ballroom has been there for like, again, a hundred years. Um, it, back in the day, it's where like Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., people like that used to play. And um, it was a speakeasy. And in the basement of it, there's all these tunnels that used to connect to buildings across the street or whatever, running through underneath Buffalo. And you can still play there. It's an awesome place. And you can go down into those tunnels and they are legitimately haunted. So the first time we went down there, like, someone from the venue took us down and is showing us around and there's like all these rooms and then there's this long tunnel and there's like a big safe right next to the entrance of the tunnel and they're like hey before you go in you know like set a dollar in there or whatever and you're like okay you know you're playing along set a dollar in there and you go to the end of this tunnel where there's like rooms that shoot off from it and it's pitch black just like so scary and you get to the end of it and there's an old bathroom and it's all busted up like the urinals are all smashed to bits the toilet's all smashed So that first time we went down there, we went into the back, like we smoked a joint, whatever. And then, um, you know, played the show. Sounds like the worst place to smoke a joint ever. Oh, it's so creepy. And we were like (laughs) daring each other, like, hey, someone stay down here alone, you know, see if you feel the ghost or whatever. Um, And it was scary, legitimately scary, but nothing happened. So the next time we went back, um, the band we were on tour with, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll show you. I'll show you down there. I'll be the tour guide this time. You know, I, I got the spiel last time. Went down there, was showing them around, took to them to the end, to the bathroom, like all the way at the end of this hallway. And as we're coming back, I turned around and I saw a little boy just run in front of me, like th- the mist of a little boy, the shape and form of a little boy. And I turned just stone cold all the hairs on my neck stood up and I got the hell out of the basement as quick as I Oh my I- God. So that you like saw not an actual little boy, but a little boy, a ghost little boy. It was the ghost of a boy. It was a hundred percent. Like I know what I saw. And that, that was the first time I've, I, I think I've legitimately seen a ghost, but that was a moment where I'm like, I have no idea how to explain it. I know the majority of like the people in my band or like my friends hate hearing me tell that story because they think I'm totally full of it. But at the same time, I know what I saw. And it, you know what you saw. Yeah. And I, you know, like afterwards, after everyone else had got, no one else saw it when we were down there, but after we had all gotten out of the basement, like I went back down there and I sat at the like the mouth of the, or the opening of the tunnel. And I sat there and I was like, I just want to be friends with whatever you are. And I had like some playing cards that I had found a couple of weeks earlier that I was holding on to, And I was like, I want to leave these here for you. And I was like trying to talk to appease the ghost or whatever, communicate in some way. I got this overall feeling of like, leave, leave now, get out of here. So I did. I just got out of there. I left. I probably would too. Damn. What a mean little kid. You brought him a present. I don't feel like you it gave was him a dollar. I feel oh, like there was the more kid. there, you know? So that's an example of where I'm coming from, you know, of like, 
how, how I view things. I can't explain that. Like, I don't know if I can explain that as like that that was a ghost with consciousness or that was more of like an echo of a memory, but it felt like there was an energy there and it felt like that energy was communicating in some way or like aware or could be, you know, felt or, or a change was still in flux. And I've, I feel like I've had a lot of experiences like that at venues to varying degrees and, and just like in life too. So the swimming pool song is off of Stay Alive. Everybody go check it out. This came out the beginning of quarantine era? It came out on October 1st, actually. We, oh, it did. I released the digital first and then like the vinyl and CD. And we did a cassette actually too for it. Um, uh, that comes out like in a week or two. So it's already out just like on streaming and everything. I figured there was like no reason to wait. Um, you know, right now, like the usual like lead up and build up to releasing an album, the traditional way of like you releasing singles and then announcing tours and stuff like that. There's no tours to announce. Why not just think outside of the box and go ahead and get it out there? Yeah. And I wonder if it will ever go back to what it was because I think I held out hope for a while that, oh, this will like pass and maybe things will go back to normal. But I'm starting to realize that this might just be a part of a new normal that we're going to have to build upon. So <laughs> if that's the case, then I think I have to, I like really don't get along with technology and I really have had a lot of pain from it. Whenever I go onto anything where people can communicate behind the mask of a fake name and don't have to be responsible for what they're saying, I find it has been a really painful relationship. It's like abusive. So I'm trying to mend that relationship right now. It's wild because like, you know, on the one time, one hand, like sometimes I'll take a cynical view of social media and stuff like that, where I'm like, this is also shallow, nothing of it's real. Um, you know, it's also fake, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then other times I'll have happenings from it that have such very real effects in the world or in my life, you know, like run-ins or connections um, that I'll be like, well, this is undeniably real. This actually, you know, is completely, um, it has effect. It's, there's nothing fake about it, you know, um, but people are generally terrible um, <laughs> online. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. 
His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I think that's the worst part is just like the non-responsibility for what you say and hurting people. But I think that as a public figure, as you would probably know, people feel really comfortable saying it when they're not in the same room with you. But oh, well, if you're actually yeah, in, the same, sure. in the same room with somebody. Sure. Totally. To transgender people in general, you know, like people are, are be- brutal, like towards transgender people online. And it's oftentimes, you know, like, I don't know, people take an attitude that they wouldn't take in real life, you know, on the street. There's a dishuman connection where you start to feel like a thing, a product or a reflection of what they're not accomplishing or what they can't face in themselves. In my opinion, just hate has it feels like it's this great American pastime now. Like hating on the internet is like a new hobby for a lot of people. And it's not really a creepy subject matter, but in my mind, it is a little creepy because it's like its own dimension. Well, I can relate to that. You know, I'll tell you a couple of weeks ago, um, I, I saw like one of those clickbait articles that was like the CIA declassifies articles saying that they've confirmed we're living in an energy hologram and that manifestation is real. And I was like, well, you know, I mean, that I sounds like on a, that too. <laughs> you, you clicked on that too. I was like, no, well, I would, I, I want to <laughs> Yeah, search it. I mean, I was like, I should probably download these files if the CIA declassified them and they were classified for any reason. Like that sounds really important. I need to have a physical copy of this before they change something. So I printed them out and I have them, them both on my desk in the other room. And, um, you, you know, like reading about that where it's like, it seems so fantastical 
where like the CIA is telling you like, yes, manifestation, manifestation is real. We're living in an all energy hologram. And then if you think about that, like in comparison to the ramifications of like social media and like what it means to have a bunch of people just spewing hate nonstop or, or negative energy, um, if we're indeed living in all energy holograms, wild, you know? Well, wild. yeah, maybe I need to find other places that are more positive energy than necessarily the hateful energy. But sometimes you just accidentally, at least for myself, I'll be like looking up a show and... I'll just see something about myself that I have no interest in reading or seeing. And all of a sudden I'm like dragged into this weird, dark place again. But I do kind of feel like we are living in a hologram. Do you remember, did you ever watch Gem in the Holograms? Yeah. And actually that, that reboot remake movie or whatever that Juliet Lewis <laughs> yeah. was in, it was really good. I really enjoyed I it. I was in the ending. <laughs> I was in the very ending, like after the credits. Yeah. That was the first time I've ever been in like a movie of any sort. That's not true. I'm going to tell you something that I've never told anyone. Oh no. <laughs> this is really embarrassing. I'm about to tell you some shit that I've never told the world. When I was like seven years old, my mom decided it would be a really good idea. What? Okay. He, he's saying I was like three. I was somewhere in between three and seven. I'm really bad with the time. Okay. So I'm like somewhere as a young person. I don't recall it. There's no memory of this. But my mom decided that it would be a really good idea for me to pretend fart in a movie called Fart the Movie <laughs> that you can only find... Where can you even find it? It's like it's on Amazon. It's the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. I don't recommend anyone looking it up. I don't recommend anyone looking ever watching it. It's the worst. It's just like a two hour long fart joke movie. But my mom got she was in a band like late 80s and they were like, we'll pay you a couple hundred dollars if you write a theme song for a movie that is entirely about farts. <laughs> so she decided to offer me up to be an extra in Fart the Movie. So that was the first time I was in a movie. Now, the second time I was in a feature film <laughs> would be at the very end of Gem and the Holograms. <laughs> and I had like neon green hair. That's all I remember. <laughs> I said like one line. But I remember loving the cartoon when I was little. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about like the misfits, the damned, horror and death often seem to go hand in hand with punk rock and being like a huge part of punk rock and amazing front woman. How does horror and punk rock go so well together? Well, I think it, it seems like it's a natural extension of dressing up, you know, like uh, of like uh I don't know, making yourself stand out. Like, I think I'm thinking specifically of like the damned yeah. and like the look Dave Vanian had, which was totally like um, some strange vampire, you know, but, but um, like the damned for me, uh, the best show I've ever seen was the damned in like 1997 uh, at a place called the state theater in St. Pete, Florida. And they were incredible. Captain sensible out there with a broken leg foot and a, <laughs> A leg in a cast, wearing a dress, playing guitar with a beer can for most of the show. Dave Vanian like looked like '90s era Bono with like huge sunglasses and like a shark skin suit, just like throwing the microphone back and forth. Um, but 
I, I don't know, you know, like the, the subgenres connect like the goth scene and the punk scene. And it's like, they're not far away from each other. It's just like one degree here, one degree there or whatever. You know, the love of the color black is shared by goths and anarchists alike. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I don't, I don't know, you know, like I was definitely more into the damned than I was ever into the misfits. Um, but I came around on the misfits. But, you know, the misfits have a strange separation where like, you know, there's the visual to the misfits, but you don't even need the visual. Like, regardless, they just have great songs. They're really great songs. And Danzig is one of a kind. You know, I, I only go so deep when it comes to like vibing on horror movies and stuff like that. I'm not like really knowledgeable about it. You know, I can't like go that in depth on it. Like I have my favorites and I enjoy it, but I, I don't know. It's never been 100% my thing. I don't have like a super crazy DVD collection or something like that, you know? Oh, really? I thought maybe you would like know about all the creepiest, crawliest kind of movies. But I see for me, I'm a basic bitch that The Shining is still my favorite scary movie of all time because it's just it feels like the inside of my brain the overlook the shining hotel. is fantastic i went i stayed a couple years back i went and stayed at the stanley hotel which is the hotel that stephen king stayed at while they were writing the shining um, is that the one they based it on uh, yeah well it's the one where it there's a made for tv remake they did of the shining um maybe in the early 2000s um, that does not start Jack Nicholson or whatever, but that was shot at the Stanley. The Stanley is a hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, and that's where Stephen King stayed while writing it, and that's where they shot the remake, but it's not where they shot the, uh, the, the actual Shining movie. Okay, so my mom, when I was little, aside from putting me in movies about farts, she also took me to the hotel that the Shining is based on the Overlook, right? That's what it's yeah, called. Yeah, the Overlook, the but not yeah. the actual, not that one they shot it at. So we may have stayed in the same place. Is that the same place? It's where Stephen King stayed, and he stayed in that room or whatever room two thirteen or I forget what the room two thirty nine. I don't know two three seven. Trying to remember all the rooms because I remember at the at the hotel across from the rave where Jeffrey Dahmer murdered, I believe his second victim. What? You're showing me something. 237. 237. 237. I was right. Okay. Um, That room was 507. Lots of weird shit with the sevens. I don't know. (laughs) I thought six was the double number of that. See, like I, you know, I pay attention to that stuff like that. I'll get into astrology and things like that to a reasonable extent. But, but I find that like, I work much better, like, in feeling connected and in any kind of psychic way, if I'm not paying attention and if I'm not trying to look for signs or look for patterns or whatever, if I can just fall into the flow, I usually feel like I'll, I'll have more, uh, more occurrences like that happen, you know? Did you stop smoking weed during like this year? I did it in April. Yeah. On 420. I, I had like made the oh, resolution. on 420. Yeah. On 420. <laughs> I had made the resolution or whatever at, uh, on New Year's Eve, we played in Denver and uh, uh, on stage, I was like, I'm going to quit smoking weed until Donald Trump is out of office. Um, oh, wait, I- are you are you back in there? Are you back in the game <laughs> or no? <laughs> Again, we're, we're, we're waiting until he actually leaves. <laughs> yeah, but, <fair>. um, <laughs> um, so it took me a second because then like the reality of that was that after the show, I woke up and I was still in Denver and I was like, well, I'm going to smoke all this weed. I still have. <laughs> but uh, I did then stick to it on on uh, April 20th and I quit. 
Um, but in general, I just like, I don't know, you know, I'm trying to tap into everything that's happening right now as a chance for change. Like if what we're talking about as a society and what you hear being repeated in the news all the time is how much we need to change, how much change there needs to be or whatever. And, you know, given the circumstances we're in facing a global pandemic, um, facing all this uncertainty, if that isn't like a, a time to actually change and to make some kind of like have some kind of personal accountability moment, I don't really know when is. And, you know, for me, like I've been in a cycle for the past 20 years of like, you go on tour, you come back, you have a little bit of time to digest, you go on tour again, or it's time to make a record again, or, you know, you're moving, 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 little time for reflection. And right now is the first time in like 20 years that I've had any kind of time for reflection like that, um, to really like decompress and just take it all in and reset and try to figure out where we're all going or what, what the plan is, you know, um, you said like you have trouble when, you know, you can't control things or, or, or whatever. Um, and, and, uh, I feel similarly like being in this void right now where so much is uncertain that, uh, you know, trying to then at least grasp yourself and, and find what is within your control is, uh, been calming to me. Same. Your journey of coming out as transgender, being in a rock band, being a front woman and putting out transgender dysmorphia blues. I mean, was that an easy thing for you? Did it feel like a weight lifted off of your shoulders or was it terrifying? Was it both? Yeah, it was, it was terrifying. Um, I guess like for the backstory for anybody watching or listening to this who don't know me, um, I came out as transgender in like 2012 and I've, I've played in a band called Against Me since I was 17 years old. Um, I'm 40 now. And uh, so I came out when I was like 32, I had already been, you know, I was already signed to a major label. I was already like an established musician or whatever. So I came out very much in the, in the spotlight. And um, shortly after coming out, like two years after I released a record called Transgender Dysphoria Blues. And then uh, from there, you know, spent the last like six years touring around the world and, and um, also released a memoir in there and um, have continued making records and everything. Uh, but, but coming out publicly was, was, terrifying in a lot of ways and coming out with a record around it. I, I don't know. It's, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person who um, I've realized like uh, I'm very accustomed to stress and I kind of create a lot of my own stress. Um, so, you know, coming out was one pressure in and of itself. Right. But then releasing a record after that, you know, and having that much attention on you or whatever, um, you know, like I asked of that, like I did that myself putting out a record. Um, so I'm not trying to complain about anything or whatever. Overall, people have been really accepting of me and been really, really supportive and understanding. And it feels really gratifying to feel like I've reached a lot of people with my story and maybe like opened their eyes up to um, the transgender experience. Cause I do like the transgender experience, like it's a record, um, maybe a box set, but I, I do think <laughs> that these things are still important to talk about, you know, very much so. And obviously like, if you look at the election results with the country as divided as it is, you know, I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that while internally, uh, culturally, uh, most pop culture is very left-leaning and, um, transgender people have become a part of the conversation, but like in a very real world way, when it comes to being a transgender person walking down the street, like pop culture doesn't 
doesn't really like save you if you're in a hard spot, you know, or help you out in those ways. Um, so there is a, a, a chasm, a divide between like, you know, what we perceive in the media and what is actually happening out in the world and educating people, talking about it, normalizing, it, you know, bringing humanity to something that may be taboo or may have been like, uh, you know, something that before couldn't be talked about is so important and continues to be really like when it comes to normalizing transgender people or whatever, like it's just only begun, you know, and there's so much more work to do. So I'm always happy to talk about like my experiences. I never pretend to have any of the answers or anything like that. I can only really speak to what my truth has been, where I've been, you know, what I've experienced, but um, I'm always happy to, you know. Yeah, I just thank you for sharing. And I was going to say, though, Kesha, I was going to say, though, like in, in regards to like quarantine stuff, you know, and, and anxieties and quitting smoking weed and, and everything like that, you know, that feeling of like being in, like, I, I felt guilt because after everything went down, I actually found myself very like grounded feeling and actually felt kind of better than I had felt in years where I'm so used to operating in like high stress situations where I have something terrible kind of hanging over my head, having grown up, whether that's with like court charges or like fucking bullshit lawsuits or whatever type of shit like that, that perpetual state of like fight or flight or of being in defense, you know, um, that like there was a certain element of when the, when the pandemic hit and being quarantined at home where I relaxed, where I just felt like, Oh Jesus Christ, like all those usual coping mechanisms I have to like use to, to get by, to deal with the stress I can just put aside right now. And it, it, I found that like, found it really calming and kind of like the, you know, the circumstances of my life for the past 20 years actually like, uh, benefited in me, me in those ways, you know, really see, there are definitely sides and I have found sides where I'm like, well, I didn't know I needed to slow down. Like I have been swimming with my head barely above water since TikTok first came out in 2008 <laughs> or 2009. Like it's just been like trying to keep up like the video of the shrimp on the treadmill. Like I'm just trying to stay with it. You know what I mean? And when this happened, it just felt so weird to not feel panicked. <laughs> and like, cause I'm just so used to being late for something because I'm late for something else and I haven't gotten enough sleep and I have to like eat on the way. And did I say something stupid in that interview that's going to affect this deal and that? And is your underwear showing? And at the same time, like it just so many things that trigger this feeling of like, but whatever, if it stresses you out, it stresses you out. Like, like for me, this is, this may sound stupid, but being trans and like navigating continually the issue of like what fucking bathroom you're going to use in a public situation, right? To then be in a situation where you're like, haha, motherfuckers, no one's going to a restaurant. I don't even have to worry about that oh shit my anymore. God. <laughs> well, I am really sorry you ever did I do have to in certain states still worry about it. You burnt your birth certificate in, wasn't it North Carolina, Murray? North Carolina. Yeah, that was like, they had this bill, like HB2, the, ba the bathroom yeah. bill or whatever. The bathroom like bill. Yeah, it's, it's such bullshit. <laughs> it is bullshit. That's so punk rock. And it probably makes your life really hard to get like car. Oh, I guess you don't need your birth certificate. What do you need your birth certificate for? Right. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, I no, guess. People, that, that, that's what people were like. They were like, oh my God, you burnt your birth certificate. I was like, yeah, I had to ask my mom for it. I don't know when the last time I've needed a birth certificate was. <laughs> oh, fuck it. 
I'll burn my birth certificate too <laughs> in the name of something noble. To get the, no, I don't think anybody would care for me, but no, I, I read that and I was like, God, you're so punk rock. That's so cool. And then I just went down a rabbit hole of reading about the origins of punk and what it really means and being a punk. What does that mean to you? To me, it's inseparable from the experiences I've had, you know, at this point. Um, and the values that I've learned from it, like the way I live my life, everything has been shaped by that. Whether that's like the DIY mentality of, you know, do it yourself. No one else is going to do it for you. If you want to be a musician, if you want to be heard, you know, it's up to you. Like um, not waiting for someone else to do it, to treating people with kindness. You don't need to fuck people over to survive, to um, trying to, you know, think globally, act locally, like, all the punk slogans you can think of, all the cliches for me has had like real life meaning and translates to real life experience. And in many ways, it's meant, you know, to never stop questioning, to always ask questions, to always question authority, to to continue to challenge power structures and status quos and, and not just settle for the way something is. But I've identified with the movement and the ideology for such a long time at this point. Like I just... I feel in, inseparable from it. And I know that's like one of those cliche questions where it's like, well, what does punk mean to you? But I want to take it seriously. You know, I want to like acknowledge that like punk has had an, it, like just a massive influence on my life. And um, and not just speaking about music, right? Also the politics. I find the politics to be inseparable from the music. If the, if, if the music uh, doesn't have politics to it and if uh, they aren't fucking good politics and it's not very fucking punk, but um, <laughs> it, it it's, you know, like the music to me, you know, you can always get into that argument of what is, what isn't punk. And I, I will take a really long view of it and and think of like all the different sounds that have equated to punk rock from since it started. But I, I really identify with the ideology about it, you know, about thinking for yourself, about questioning authority, about being an individual. And those lessons have led me to meet people, to travel the world, to, you know, fulfill all of my wildest desires. And I'm forever thankful for it. And I really see it's like greater connection to the art art world, you know, to the history of art and fitting in as like an artistic movement similar to Dada or surrealism yeah. or, or whatever. And it's ex an extension of all that that you can trace back. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. 
His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. I feel like in my heart, that's where I always like I was such a punk little kid and it was always grandparents would say it as it was a negative thing. And then it made me want to be like, yeah, I'm a punk. (laughs) And I remember there was this show specifically that changed the course of my history. I was like in high school questioning my sexuality. I thought I was maybe asexual where I went to school. There was a lot of like blatant racism happening and Confederate flags flying. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just not attracted to any of this. And then I made some girlfriends and I was like, well, I'm, I'm attracted to you. So I just, it was a confusing time for me because trying to figure out the sexuality side of myself. And then one day I opened a door and there was this guy. Sorry, my current boyfriend's in the room, but you can just check out for right now. Um, but I opened the door and there was this guy. It was just kind of like this soulmate, beautiful, magical, one of those moments. He was in a band called Party Cannon and they were a super punk band. And I went to go see them and everyone in the band, they were all guys wearing dresses, shooting off fireworks, singing about politics. And that was like the introduction because of Steven. I then went and he was like, oh, I'm going to see a movie about the Minutemen. And then I was like, okay, I'm going. And so that was my introduction. It was my, my sexual quest turned into then like finding punk rock music. And right after they got off stage playing like the gnarliest, loudest shit, setting off fireworks, S&M gear, like it was the craziest thing I've ever seen in a barn. I thought the place was going to burn down. It was insane. And the second their music came off, there was a DJ that started playing Madonna and all of the same people that were just like living for their music started dancing to Madonna. And it made me feel like punk was a spirit, a spirit that 
and like an energy that just can't be fucked with like something that's inside of you. That's like, I can relate that to place of origin. If you want to go down this. Yeah, please, please. Um, okay. So the first ever punk band, the first band referred to as a punk band ever in the press was a band called question mark and the Mysterians who were from Michigan and Madonna is from Bay city, Michigan. So it all comes from Michigan. (gasps) Maybe there's an energetic vortex in Michigan somewhere. I think so. <laughs> That's crazy. Did they know each other? Like, is there any interaction? I don't think so, but they both came from like, well, no, they're, they're both from the same city or whatever. There's this, uh, what's the name of the book? I think it's called Madonna Land. I'll have to look it up. That talks about uh, Bay City, Michigan and the music history there and how Madonna is like, unloved by the city. She was basically snubbed because of some interview that she did um, where she said that Bay City was like a stinky town when it is like there's a plant there or something, some kind of mill or something like that. But, um, you know, like it's Madonna and you think that the city would have like a sign that says like, like home of Madonna. Madonna, you know, like <laughs> that's a selling point. Bring some tourists. and they Like will. Dollywood. Yeah, yeah. Dolly they, Parton has a theme park. <laughs> right, right, exactly, you know, um but they will not they will not acknowledge Madonna's from there like they, there's no sign or anything like that. So oh, it's just no. the whole book talks about Madonna and it talks about question mark and the Mysterians and how they're from those, you know, nowheresville places in uh Michigan and what it's like there. Um but so those things are connected and you know, I always saw like I guess in a lot of ways Madonna was kind of an early introduction to punk in ways that I didn't even realize and and then translated into my life connections I had where, you know, Madonna's probably my first musical memory is seeing the Material Girl video. So good. Very like, you know, early, like desperately seeking Susan style Madonna, like she had a punk element to her style. And Madonna was signed by Seymour Stein to Sire Records. Sire Records was the label that signed the Ramones. Seymour Stein signed the yeah. Ramones. Like oh, all these scenes were connected. And um, that's, that's, I think, what you realize after you really get into music and you get into punk and like, um, I, I don't know, you realize how connected it, it all is and how like certain fashion trends play off of each other, you know, and, and uh, what influences what or whatever. But um, yeah, anyways, I'm on a tangent. No, please. It's so fascinating because you think of bands like Fugazi, where it's everything is kept affordable. And then there's Vivian Westwood, which is obviously high fashion, but definitely is the punk aesthetic. Wouldn't you say? Well, it's tied to it. Yeah, it's the punk aesthetic. It's the classic like English punk aesthetic. Westwood, Right. You know, and all the Sex Pistols scene and stuff like that. But I like that, you know, what keeps punk relevant is the continued um, reinvention of itself and questioning of itself and tearing down of itself, you know? So you had like, again, Question Mark and the Mysterians were verifiably the first band to ever been referred to as a punk band, right? Um, do Are they connected to the Sex Pistols? Other than that, not really. Um, the Ramones connection to the punk, to Sex Pistols, if you look at the Ramones compared to the Sex Pistols, and even like stylistically, you wouldn't immediately assume they were connected. So there were differences. It was just all influenced and playing off of each other and the sex pistols you know they were one of the first bands that attracted me to punk rock but they definitely were coming from a more nihilistic you know live fast die young sid vicious 
type of approach, which spoke to me when I was a really young teen and when I lived in a place that I never thought I would escape from. And I thought, well, I'll be dead by fucking 27 if I'm lucky to make it that long, you know? Because you were in Florida, right? Yeah, South Florida, which just, you know, is a cultural void. There was nothing happening in South Florida. It was not a youth-friendly environment. Um, Lots of drugs, lots of violence, lots of like just... um, total class differences and just a messed up, unique place, beautiful place. But um, regardless, especially then, it was just very culturally isolated. So that, you know, and and getting beat up a lot, like bands that were about violence and nihilism like that, like spoke to me. But I had like a political awakening when I was like 14 years old, got beat up by the cops, got arrested, charged as an adult, whole ordeal or whatever. And it politicized me. And then you get into a different element of punk rock. You go down like the element, the, the path of like the clash or crass and like you you get into the really political stuff. And for me, as a teen who was definitely closeted, but at the same time closeted in a way where I didn't have words to describe myself. I didn't know the word transgender. I couldn't tell you that I was transgendered because I just didn't know it. But still having a knowledge of like, I don't fit in. You know, I don't know where I belong, um, but I do not fit in with the majority of the kids that I see around me. And there's something about myself that I know, even if I don't have words for it, that um, that I know makes me an outcast, you know? So punk offered refuge to that. But the the more political side of that, that actually speaks to being anti, you know, anti-homophobic, anti-transphobic, anti-racist, like anti-classist, all those things, like that is what like pulled me in and kept me there. Um, those, those like really affirmal things like the sex pistols and the, the, all the, that's just like such surface appeal of punk. Um, and there's no longevity to it. There's nothing lasting, obviously, you know, live fast, die young. And you have a band like Fugazi though, who really, you know, like when it comes down to it, like the artistic choices they made for themselves, um, which were moral choices, like really gave their career you know, life. It, it, it made them last much longer than they would have if they had taken like the quick route of signing or of selling out, you know, or, or something like that. Um, so there's just, I don't know, there's a lot of lessons there. There's a lot of, you know, things that you can glean off of that of like being true to yourself and um, the benefits that you'll actually receive from that. And it's sometimes hard to do that. You know, like in the title of your book, I assume that you have a particular reason you put the word sellout, but I've been called a sellout by the very guy that introduced me to the Minutemen. It's like, oh, you're a sellout. And it broke my heart because I liked pop music. And I was like, but I'm not selling out in my soul. And I've heard you speak on it before, just like major label versus small, smaller label or putting things out yourself. And when you make that jump, um, when you put out new wave, that was our first record with Warner Sire. Yeah. With a major label. Mm-hmm. I, well, I guess like the thing, the thing about it is that it's like, you know, it is staying true to yourself and having learned that lesson from punk of like, think for yourself, stay true to yourself. And then being in a position where me personally, I knew something about myself that I did not know how to express or communicate to other people being trans, right? And so I was having this completely different experience than other people were having. And the choices that I made were influenced by the experience that I was having. I was thinking for myself, like any record label I signed to, any any decision like that was made from my knowledge, my perspective, not someone else's perspective or someone else's thoughts on what I should do with my life. I was thinking for myself, you know? So to be in a situation where you're called a sellout for thinking for yourself to me it was always just like 
fuck you. You don't know where I'm coming from. You don't know anything. You have no right to like have an opinion of my life and you know, just fuck off. Part of the history of our band was for years, every every label we signed to, we were called sellouts. And, and there was just a whole row of that. And it all came down to bullshit punk politics that didn't really have anything to do with being punk at all. You know, it's like being punk versus the policies of being punk. And it's like you're saying, it's you question everything. And I would take that even including myself and my decisions I've made. People don't know why I made those decisions. And I made some good ones and I made a way more really, really bad ones. We're but like at the time, <laughs> exactly. We're all just human. And I feel like without the bad decision making, there's so many lessons I wouldn't have learned. <laughs> there was a quote I read that you and Joan Jett, because I performed with Joan Jett. She's great. A couple of years ago. She's great. And you toured with Joan Jett, right? Um, we've played a, a number of shows. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. And um, Smokes weed like a champ. Good for her. God, I wish I had that kind of like, I wish I didn't just have anxiety attacks. Outsiders amongst outsiders. And I just wanted to tell you that I complete, like, like my heart has never felt so attached to words. Like that's how I have felt my entire experience in music even. And music was for outsiders. And then every time I've gone to an awards show and I'm sitting next to the most fabulous people and I'm dressed in fabulous things, but I just feel like so much of an outsider, no matter where you stick me. Anyways, none of that's creepy. And (laughs) (laughs) if you were a ghost, what would your style of haunting be? If I was a ghost, I would haunt a hotel specifically. Um, I think you have one in particular that you would haunt. Um, one in particular, no, but I'd want to be in Australia. <laughs> like I want to haunt, haunt an Australian hotel. I do too. I just want to go to Australia really right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it'd be cool to haunt a hotel just because then you would be continually getting new people to haunt and mess with. You know, it wouldn't, you wouldn't be stuck with the same people. Because then what if you got like a Beetlejuice type situation where you really didn't like the people that you were stuck haunting and you had to watch them like, going and rearranging your house or whatever, oh. you know, so a hotel, that's the way, or it'd be cool to haunt a tour bus too, haunted tour bus or a venue. I love that. And you would be good. All of these options are great. <laughs> well, you are a haunted swimming pool or you were at some point this year for, for a brief moment in time. Yes. <laughs> I like relate so much to that feeling. If you had a cult, now I have to like preface this. Okay. I sometimes feel like as a musician, we kind of do have like a cult following. That's what it's called. Sure. Just saying. But if you had a cult, what would your manifesto be? And would there be a dress code? And if so, what would that dress code be? If I had a cult, I know that uh, for the dress code that um, Adidas Sambas would be the shoes that everyone had to wear. <laughs> I don't I think know what those are. They're just the classic Adidas like soccer shoes looking. <gasps> okay. You know, three stripes, whatever, black, um, pretty nondescript. Uh, but I, I feel like, you know, the the key to a successful cult is the aesthetic. And I think starting with proper footwear is good. So we'd go with the Adidas and then we'd <laughs> go all black, you know, it'd just be all black. And I think that people would appreciate that in the cult because it really just streamlines decision making in the morning when you wake up. What do I wear? You wear all black. Right. Um, and then I think as um you know, a, a manifesto or whatever, we would definitely want our own land. Um, I don't think we'd be about the guns or anything like that, but we'd want our own land and uh, we'd just want to be left alone and uh, 
be able to where where in the world Australia <laughs> Australia would be great yeah yeah I mean there, there's places in the outback right where like you can really just whatever goes <laughs> yes it can get pretty creepy is there anything you're super superstitious about I don't like to ride escalators I don't like to stand on escalators and I I'll, I'll tell you, Kesha, I don't know exactly where this came from, but to me, for some reason, it got in my head in relating like to the multiverse and string theory that if you choose to ride on an escalator, it is somehow like just like in a small way, shifting you to a different timeline that's a timeline that's based on um, laziness in some way of just like, like it is and i thought you were gonna go to like the shoe string literally so have you ever got your shoes stuck in an escalator no but that's terrible and you know that's a danger but so i don't i don't like to, to ride escalators i like to walk upstairs if i have the option i will walk up the stairs okay what about stairs versus elevator I'll take the stairs as well. I got, I had an experience one time uh, at South by Southwest actually, where I was stuck in an elevator with um, 23 people for 45 <gasps> minutes. We had to be rescued by the fire department. It was terrible, claustrophobic, um, but also kind of fun looking back now, but uh, I still get a little nervous in elevators. That sounds like a nightmare with 20 something people. Holy shit. We were like partying and we thought it'd be funny. Um, I don't know. <laughs> there was cops involved. There was a pizza <laughs> delivery guy. It was, yeah. Pizza's usually pretty good. Cops always scare me. So I don't know if that all sounds elevators. Now I don't know how I feel about them. Um, Would you rather be abducted by aliens or sleep in a haunted house alone for one night? Um, I'd want to be abducted by aliens, but I'd want them to be abducting me, not to like experiment on me, but abducting me to choose me like a, hey, you're coming with us. There's like something special. else we got to show you. Yeah, you're the one. We've been watching you. You proved yourself. Let's get out of here. Okay. And I'd be like, thank you. Thank you. Maybe this is where I belong. Oh my God. I have a song called Spaceship that's about that because I'm just like, I just am not made for this planet, apparently. Don't know where, but I'm here, ready when you are. So I'm saying, um, what do you think happens when we die? Or do you not know? Well, I don't know for certain, but. I don't think it's the end. I feel like that there has to be something more to it. I, I can't explain what that is. I don't think that life is meaningless. I think that there's meaning for it. And I think that eventually you do get to understand things that you don't. So you're not a total nihilist. <laughs> no, not, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's like so heartwarming because I like, I feel the same way. Like I really... I do think that at some point our consciousness will let us know what's going on. We just can't see it yet. Yeah. If you could be haunted by anyone, who would it be? Um, I don't know. I kind of believe that I go through periods of time being haunted by certain people um, in ways. Like, do you know who the Marquesa Luisa Casati is? I know the name, but I don't know who that is. She was a muse, let's say. Uh, she was, uh, you know, bourgeois, um, came from money, uh, Italian, late 1800s, early 1900s, used to throw these fantastic parties at her palazzo in Venice and uh, lived in what became the Guggenheim there oh, wow. um, and was painted by, you know, all these famous portrait painters and, and photographers took her photo and she just was known for her parties, but eventually died um, in obscurity uh, around World War II, living in a flat in London. 
And I became obsessed with her story to the point where like, you know, whatever pictures I could find of her, like uh, paintings, whatever, you know, um, would buy them online prints and, and have a collection of them framed and would read whatever books I could about her life. Went and visited her grave in Brompton Cemetery in England. I mean, like had a picnic by myself at her grave. And uh, in a ways it felt like choosing to be haunted by someone, you know? Or like um, asking, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at the same time, also carrying someone's thought around with you um, felt like being haunted by a past that you never were a part of in a strange way. But then at the same time, like, you know, there is a separation of it not being like uncontrollable haunting. So I like haunting like that. I like kind of becoming enraptured by... Uh, figures from the past and doing sounds like she's a muse yeah exactly almost yeah well and the the idea that she you know she was always seeking immortality and she did find a form of immortality and uh her as a muse continues to exist you know aren't we all seeking immortality through making art or is that just me Uh, I think to some extent, you know, artists do like hope to conquer death in that way. Yeah. And I think the way that you will um, is yet to be imagined by you in so many different ways. I think about that, like I I was thinking about that recently in regards to Van Gogh um, and how like, um, you know, what Van Gogh's life was living in poverty, um, you know, selling paintings for like, you know, or giving them away basically. And then the fantastic future we live in now where there's like hot air balloon uh, festivals with Van Gogh paintings. So there, I saw like a parade of people, you know, painted like Van Gogh paintings, walking down in frames, walking down a street. Um, and how that those were things that Van Gogh could have never imagined, you know, that never have predicted. And so I, I love that life um, transforms itself in those ways and gets you to places you never thought would happen. I love that. Okay. That's a beautiful sentiment to end on. You never know where this shit's (laughs) going to take you. (laughs) Stay creepy. Thank you so much. This is Laura Jane Grace. And before you go, is there anything you would like for people to read or listen to from you or a website or an Instagram or anything like that? Well, you can follow me on Instagram. It's just at Laura Jane Grace. Okay, great. And I will follow you, Kesha. Um, (laughs) Okay, great. uh, Other than, you know, you mentioned I have a record out, but other than that, no, just everyone, please, you know, stay alive and stay sane. And I hope that we uh, all get through this mess we're in right now um, soon and we get back to some of the things that we all love so much, like live music, you know? Yes. And haunted venues. Traveling to haunt, <laughs> creating new haunts. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. This is such a pleasure. Pleasure is mine. Thank you, Kesha. I appreciate it. like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. 
This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 